This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Good Things, the show where we speak to good people doing good things. Women's March Malaysia is a dynamic movement dedicated to advancing intersectional education and advocacy across a spectrum of issues. Grounded in the principles of inclusivity and social justice, the Women's March Malaysia promotes gender equality and works towards amplifying the voices of marginalised communities within Malaysia. So today on the show, I'm joined by Aries. They are the Movement Outreach and Programs Lead for Women's March Malaysia. We're going to discuss the movement's continued work in advocating for women's rights and gender equality and to discuss their mission, their initiative, their challenges, but also their triumphs. Welcome, Aries. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. So yes, uh, this of course is the show where we speak to good people. So I'm very happy to have you on the show. And uh, of course, you know, International Women's Day is coming up soon uh, and there is a march planned. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, a bit later on. But for, for starters, maybe you can just give our listeners an overview of the Women's March Malaysia, its mission, those sorts of things. Okay, that's good. So, Women's March Malaysia is a yearly march held in honour of like International Women's Day. We use it to focus on issues such as women's rights movements, gender equality, women's participation, um, and the prevention against violence and abuse against women and all intersecting identities as well. Mm-hmm. So, we do stress that we use an intersectional uh, feminist lens in the key, as a key, key to our approach. So, that includes like platforming the voices, lived realities, and needs of impacted communities, such as Indigenous climate activists, sex and gender minorities, um, even those affected by gender unequal nationality laws, much more in the Malaysian context, at least. So, yeah. Okay, all right. And and so Women's March, of course, was was a global movement, right? What what inspired the creation of Women's March Malaysia in particular? So this is cited by my colleagues and peers in the team as well. So if we're not mistaken, it is like inspired by in 2017 when um, Trump was called to office and there was a huge movement of women's rights um, resisting and protesting against such election. And what happened that year was that a young student also placed a placard um, asking why can't she be considered a prime minister? And there's a lot of backlash relating oh, to that. that yes. Yeah, that was in 2017. Mm-hmm. And what happened as a result is that it kind of like highlighted how our struggles with the US kind of like movement is while still different in our different kind of like ways we approach it, it's still like similar in um, struggles faced, the discrimination, oppression and violence and the patriarchal system that affects us. Mm -hmm. So I think from there on, the Women's March was continuously organized by a loose collective of individuals who have the capacity to kind of like bring issues to light since then. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay. And and how does women, you know, we were earlier in the the introduction, I mentioned things like intersectionality, right? And how does women's, how does the Women's March Malaysia address those sorts? of issues, right? So intersectionality uh, within uh, its advocacy and activism. Mm, Okay, so this is also cited by one of my colleagues who have offered this as well. So women in Malaysia have historically participated in various demonstrations dating back to the 40s in the height of decolonization. Mm-hmm. Um, these movements within the region includes Berse, one of the largest protests in Malaysia. And it's co-led by women from 2011 to 2018, which was pretty unusual in the civil society organizations at that point. Yeah. We also observed how these um, protests are participated by numerous women or gender minorities at the same time. So what happens is that these groups have always had focuses of like gender-based violence, prevention of gender-based violence and the repair work that comes after it and the support that's required to kind of like help these communities, impacted communities tie through. And yeah, from there on, I think we've kind of like understood that intersectionality is a really key part of 
um, understanding how these issues are faced by different groups, but in different dimensions, right? Mm -hmm. So women are, as a collective, not necessarily homogenous as a group. Um, Intersexually is pretty integral in addressing gender inequalities due to the complexities of different identities, um, gender, class, socioeconomic background. So we at the Women's March um, specifically help our include our outreach methods with intersectionality, mm-hmm. where we inter- intentionally curate our manifesto demands, for example, uh, by outreaching to impact the communities um, and doing a lot of crosswork, um, nominating those who are involved in like, differing movements and highlighting their campaigns. We make sure that there are community consultations that have that need assessment angle mm-hmm. um, to kind of like show how these different movements intersect with each other, not necessarily in isolation of each other. Okay. So, for example, I think maybe the climate crisis impacts indigenous movements or how like the Orang Asli movements are like very tied to reproductive justice where there are forced sterilizations going on, for example. So they're not in vacuum of each other. They're mm-hmm. always intersecting. Okay. And that's what we intend and try to do through our outreach work. Okay, yeah. okay. And um, uh, actually those that was actually my next question. So, you know, what are some of the key issues that you guys focus on? Uh, and I do know, of course, as we mentioned, there's going to be the March for Equality on the 9th, right? I mean, what are some mm-hmm. of the demands that you guys have or the changes that you're asking for? So, as mentioned earlier, our demands are curated through a pretty vigorous process of consultations, um, cross-team nominations, and also collective knowledge of feminist work. So, this is a process that's done differently to prior years, where we ensure that our demands are not only updated with current issues, but also being conscious of the team's limitations and available resources while we do so. So, the themes of this march are always updated, but still some of them are remain similar. Why? Because there are still prevailing issues about um, that bear relevance and different speakers that are invited each year could shed different dimensions and light and insight to and the nuances of the issue as well. Mm-hmm. So the key issues this year, like should I go through the manifesto yeah, demands? Go for it. Yeah. So these demands are Firstly, prioritizing the economic empowerment and development of working class over cooperations. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, to declare climate crisis and include participation from women and indigenous persons. Third, and all forms of violence and discrimination towards gender and sexual minorities. Fourth, implement comprehensive sex education to protect and empower children's rights. Fifth, implement immediate, inclusive and accessible reproductive and mental health services in healthcare. Six, ensure equal opportunities and participation at all levels of decision-making in political life. Seven, eliminate gender-based violence in private and public life. Eighth, um, sure, ensure gender-equal nationality laws. Ninth, protect freedom of assembly and expression. And lastly, end all car- armed conflict and genocide. Liberation for all. So those are the 10 demands that we have curated through our consultations thus far. Mm -hmm. How do you guys, uh, how does that consultation process work? Like, uh, Mm. so you work, um, I mean, uh, you consult with other groups and things like that? So what we've done this year specifically is that we've looked through the past demands, right? We kind of did a cross analysis or trend analysis of what kind of demands have been spoken about. Mm -hmm. Do they still bear relevance? And if so, what are the key stakeholders that haven't been engaged on? So we know that there's always a gap when it comes to, for example, the Borneo and East Malaysian and West Malaysian movement, for example, because of transportation and like geopolitical reasons. We also know that there are some groups that are much more under-resourced, for example, with the refugee movement or maybe even with like gender and sexual minorities 
which may not have a platform necessarily in women's organizations. Mm -hmm. So by accessing those gaps, we go by collective knowledge in terms of which organizations do we know are engaged in this form of work. Mm -hmm. And then we send out invitations for them to join our consultation where it's facilitated by a trusted feminists with good values and principles aligning with ours. And from there on, we kind of like help document what are their key issues? How do they intersect? What are the support? What is the support needed to kind of like help mobilize or kind of like increase momentum on the campaigns that they're doing? Mm -hmm. And from there, we go into the manifesto curation process and finalization process. And again, send back for feedback. And then only then we kind of like go into captions because the demands is one thing, but the analysis and nuances that come under it is mm. another, yeah. which requires copywriters, requires translators, which we do in four different languages. And then from there, it's posted out for the wider public to access. Okay, mm. so very consultative and very collaborative, uh, uh, I guess, process, isn't mm-hmm, it, to come mm-hmm. up with this, with these, uh, with these uh, demands, as we call it, right? Mm-hmm. And... It's not easy. I know the work that you guys do is, is far from easy and there's many, many challenges. What would you say are some of the most, I guess, the key challenges that you face in your advocacy work through Women's March Malaysia? So I would say it's definitely going to be, firstly, um, capacity issues because like women's-led or even feminist movements in Malaysia are under-resourced in general. There's mm. a lot of like capacity burnouts that occur. And because we are participated by all walks of life, that could be a little bit of a coordination issue, but it's always going to be a practice anyway in long-term sustainability. Um, another key challenge, I guess, is resistance backlash, public backlash, and also like resistance against authorities. We've seen how, for example, like women's rights movements and also the committee, the organizing committee, has been targeted by authorities with different sections that have been used to target and prosecute and even like intimidate mm-hmm. with like police powers. So that has definitely been a key area that requires a lot of security safeguarding issues. And while we're moving forward, we also have to work at these security issues in parallel as well to ensure the integrity and also like the privacy and safety of like all those involved as well. So I guess that's one of the main key challenges, capacity and also like resistances and backlash and Mm -hmm. security issues. Mm -hmm. Um, The online gender-based violence post-March is usually a major issue. Every year the March has taken place, there's been worsening backlash on social media. It often spills over to the real world as well. In the past, organizers have been doxxed, had their property damaged, lost jobs and university placements as well. So... And every single year, organizers also face intimidation from the police, um, where police arrive in the middle of the night to serve notice to come for questioning when it comes to speakers and random participants as well who have been raising placards, for example. Mm. So this was especially displayed in the last year's march, where seven participants, speakers and organizers of Women's March were notified in the middle of the night that they were going to be questioned by police. The organizers were probed under Section 9, um, Bracket 5 of the Peaceful Assembly Act 2012 as well as Section 14 of the Minor Offences Act 1955. This creates an unsafe and very hostile environment for advocacy work. Article 10 of the Malaysian Federal Constitution clearly states that every citizen has the right to freedom of speech and expression. All citizens have the right to assemble peacefully without arms. This further reflects badly on how Malaysia's participation uh, practices. It's very like 
it's signatory to the Convention of the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women in CEDAW. Mm-hmm. So our march aims to bring people together to call for gender equality, justice, and an end to all forms of discrimination against women, girls, gender, and sex minorities. However, critics in the past have tried to obfuscate these issues in an attempt to sway the narrative. Because already it's, you know, marginalised communities that you're working Mm-mm. with, right? Already there's there's a level of danger and threat there and then, mm-hmm. you know, compounded when you go so public in that sense, right? It's just, yeah, kind of, uh, yeah, it's even worse. It just exacerbates the situation. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, but of course, you know, that's something that you guys are really, really concerned about, focusing on everyone's safety and well-being at the, I mean, at the mm-hmm. bottom line, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the external, I guess. The yeah. internal things is also that the truth of the matter is that feminist issues are not one-dimensional, again, yeah. not in a vacuum. Everyone comes from different feminist lenses. Yeah. And the word and the path towards intersectionality kind of necessitates that we go through that process of sitting in discomfort, mm. challenging while being transformative at the same time. So I think there's a lot of internal work needed for any organization or any loose collective in general yeah. for what it means to form your feminist identity while also ensuring that you're not hijacking it with your own kind of like perspective of on the course, issue. Yeah. 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 And that, that was something I wanted to ask you as well. You know, there's because there is I mean, I guess there are levels of leadership, isn't it? And mm-hmm. how do you ensure that sort of inclusivity, that sort of representation, you know, when making the when making decision, right, in the decision-making processes? So I would say that it is a key consideration in the organizing community and it shows in the way that we mobilize and organize. Um, some might say non-hierarchical. I wouldn't say it's non-hierarchical because I feel like that is not feasible at this moment. There's always going to be power navigating spaces. Mm -hmm. So we try our best to be non-hierarchical and participatory in our approaches, wherein it's like, what does it mean if it comes to majority, when it comes to minority? Um, How strongly do you feel about particular decisions? I think we are in the process of still finding out what it means to be an inclusive decision-making kind of like body. Um, Thankfully, though, like so far, there's even though we have grievance mechanisms in terms of like if there are strong disagreements, who are we going to seek out for facilitation? Who are we going to seek out as an external party to kind of like oversee the process? We haven't really engaged in them yet because people have it's a smaller group for, so far. Okay. So we're able to kind of like be very engaging and transformative and understanding right now and make compromises and meet each other halfway. So I would say that that's the key thing in decision-making processes, not even just in the outreach of who's included in the room, Mm. and also, like, how do we platform different kind of needs and different kind of, like, power holders in the room? Because always being conscious of power is a feminist struggle as well because uh. we can all say that we're equal, we're all like women or gender minorities or such, but everyone holds different kind of like positional power. Okay. So being conscious of that, I think, has been really helping the Women's March Committee navigate decisions, difficult okay. decisions especially. Okay, let's just go for a quick break, Aries. When we come back, uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other things that uh, you guys are working on. I'm speaking today to Aries. They are the Movement Outreach and Programs Lead for the Women's March Malaysia. We are finding out more about uh, the Women's March uh, and of course we're going to again promote you know the march that's happening on the 9th we're going to get the details from aries after this keep it right here on good things on the bigger picture pfm 89.9 welcome back this is good things the show where we speak to good people doing good things the good person in the studio with me today is aries they are the movement outreach and programs lead for the women's march malaysia we are speaking about women's march malaysia uh, it is of course international women's day next week we're going to promote but what we want to find out more also about the march that uh, women's march malaysia are organizing on saturday but we're also finding out about the movement and all the work that they've been doing there's plenty you know with, uh, that comes in it's not just a march right there's so much more that mm-hmm. goes into it and that's something that we want to find out more about so aries maybe you can share some of the 
I mean, it's been a, it's been a few years already. It's as you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. not without its challenges. But let's talk about some success stories, some of the achievements you would say uh, from Women's March Malaysia movement. Mm-hmm. So I think that what the Women's March Organizing Committee and the March itself has achieved, like let's start from the small scale first, Mm -hmm. it's a very intentional collection of people from all walks of life, different kind of power dimensions intersecting. So that means that it is a very rare opportunity for everyone to share space with each other um, intentionally and be able to participate and and practice their feminist values. Um, So that is, I think, a rare occurrence in itself because everyone's so bogged down by their own respective work on their own kind of like um, competing interests or whatsoever. I think that is a success story in itself to be able to have that intergenerational contribution as well because usually what we see is that different groups will have different kind of like demographics they focus on and that might kind of isolate them from each other. Mm. So, yeah, I think this is like a really cool curated and like kind of facilitated space where everyone can come together and really like make change happen in our own pace as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one. I think... Secondly, the fact that the march continued despite yeah. the onslaught of like resistances, public backlash, state vigilance really is a testament to the resilience of a growing feminist movement within Malaysia. And people return to the marches for a reason as well, not just as a volunteer, but also as a participant who wants to find that sense of belonging and sense of community through this feminist humanization. Mm-hmm. So that show of solidarity in care in all its diverse forms, I think, is a success story that's ongoing because how often do you have space to be able to see yourself represented to see your voice being like emulated some way or somehow represented and then seeing it go somewhere I think that's a really important beacon and narrative to cut through all the all the things that already tell you that you should be probably indifferent and desensitized you know so I think that itself is a a success story Yeah. yeah Not being desensitized, that's a success story there itself, right? I mean, yeah. it, can, it can be so much, isn't it? it can, you can just kind of just like, ah, why do this, right? But that's not mm-hmm. something that you guys do. You guys continue to to advocate. And and I wanted to talk about grassroots activism, actually, and the role that that plays within um, women Women's March Malaysia's approach. Mm-hmm. So I think when it comes to grassroots activism, it's being able to and needing to be conscious about what does it mean to be a grassroots organization or movement. That means that it is likely not funded, it is under-resourced, it is not like um, having a lot of like keen like collaborators because of the difficulties of that particular layer of marginalization. Yeah. So I would say that our approach in the Women's March Committee is always understanding like if you want to be inclusive, that means that you have to resource and be radically caring in that inclusivity. So if we're reaching out to grassroots organizations, for example, the indigenous movement, mm. or we're reaching out to people who are like assisting with like those seeking asylum, we make sure that there are accommodations and accessibility approaches, be it translators, be it sign language interpreters, or be it like stipends mm. that we are able to like cut out of the budget or whatever to make sure that if you want to participate, you need to be cared for in the process to participate because that's needed within the movement. You cannot take that emotional and like long-term labor of these actors within the movement for granted. Yeah. And they need to be compensated adequately as a showcase of our values and also the care that we need to give to each other within the movement as well. So I would say that that's... Their role is like key and critical because they inform the policies that we have gaps in, Mm. in terms of like who is not within the equation, who is not within the like consultation Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. So they are critical and key in terms of making us 
understand the nuances of what we are unable to conceptualize beyond our experiences. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah, I would say that's the answer. Yeah, and contributes to the intersectionality, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the basis of all of this, right? And mm-hmm. and you also use a lot of education and awareness raising uh, to kind of affect that kind of social change that you're looking for, right? How do you guys go about doing that? So, every year, we post our demands up on social media with research and statistics, um, based on different organizations, their own work, their own published work, we try to like summarize it and bring awareness to the cause. So in order to be inclusive as well in the process, we post these demands in four languages right now, English, Malay, Chinese and Tamil, to reach out to different language speaking communities of different ethnicities. So the main highlight of our march is to bring to light the voices and needs of various communities to keep the conversation going. However, the organizing community currently does not have enough resources to bring our demands to like the furthest point that we would like to yet. Um, But we try to kind of like pack it in and just go like we do this process first, ensure that all the steps are aligned with our values and then we see what is the capacity allowed to kind of bring us further to engage your policymakers otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that um actually on that on that note, right, I mean, it's a bit hard, right, to engage with the policymakers. But I mean there are of course efforts to do that, to engage with policymakers, government institutions, you know, to to advocate for, for gender equality. I mean, how are you trying to go about doing that? You mean like being able to consider how we take these demands yeah, yeah. to the next level. Yeah. So at this juncture, it is not something that we have completely discussed yet, as mentioned, because we are going with like the existing capacity. Okay. However, like depending on like capacity, growing capacity, social political climate and the safeguarding measures, it can be decided by the collective whether the consultations, manifesto and the feedback we receive should be forwarded to more formal avenues that are available. Mm-hmm. And whoever is being open to being contextualized by these nuances and analysis Otherwise, I think it's even just the act of how we strategize our outreach to be more participatory and conscious of systemic gaps, um, such as the disproportionality of available resources between East and West Malaysia and who should be included is a constant practice of women's rights and feminist groups who are aiming to kind of like improve in this moment of cultural transformation. So I guess like we have plans and that's something that we can continue to have discussions about. Yeah. Okay. okay. And you know, a lot of the work that you do, I mean, it, it does, and you know, it's, it's not safe as you mentioned, right? And and, and there's always that gender lens there. Uh, you know, people just uh, get angry lah when they see women and and you know all the different communities coming together to speak up about uh, feminism and rights, right? And how do you actually kind of go about undertaking? methods to combat that kind of gender-based violence as well that comes with this, right? There's gender-based violence, there's discrimination as well, I would say, mm-hmm, that comes, mm-hmm. right? When when you go out there and do your marches and, you know, advocate for all of these things, how do you guys try to, yeah, to combat to that? To combat gender-based violence. So definitely, like, in each step of our process, we try to engage in risk assessment and, mm. like, activities for both all the speakers, all the performers, and also we put out information and we curated resources for the wider public that have followed us on social media to get, like, information about what it means to be a participant, mm-hmm. what kind of laws might you be need to be conscious of, what kind of, like, mitigating strategies do you need to do to ensure your own personal and group safety. So I think it's always going to be a layered kind of, like, risk assessment and then mitigation kind of like method to ensure that pre-march at the march itself where marshals are engaged and trained in like the routes and also ensure like you know safety security training and then the post-march as well the monitoring and evaluation of like what are the key areas that are receiving the most backlash how is it going to affect the organizing for next year Mm -hmm. so I think to combat gender-based violence is always going to be a part of pre- 
kind of like preempting, yeah, um, yeah. monitoring at the moment, and then doing things with the data that we've received to better inform our decisions and are mobilizing next year. Okay. So I think that's the best way we can approach it thus far. Lah. Okay. All right. You guys have your work cut out for you. <laughs> but there is it's a growing movement, right? Yeah. And and you are seeing like increased support throughout the years, even though the you know, the backlash might and I suppose that's why there's even bigger backlash, right? Because it's growing and mm-hmm. it's not being quashed mm-hmm. as such, right? Is mm-hmm. um so that's that's very hopeful. Yeah. Um and, and you know, I do I do remember you saying that, you know, it's quite hard with the resources and things like that. If anyone's interested to get involved, you know, what would mm-hmm. be the best way to do that? I'll say that if anyone's passionate about women's rights and the feminist movement, join us on the March on 9th of <laughs> 9th of March. Yeah. Like that is March on the 9th of March. That is going to be the incredible key moment where the support of even just like buying merchandise or being able to forward our social media kind of like messages that is going to be key in terms of like sensitizing the public mm-hmm. in our demands. And I think it's also important that we as organizers acknowledge what incredible steps people take to participate in their own ways, yeah. in the ways that they can. That might not always manifest in marching. So even if it's like resource creation, um, building upon existing momentum and bringing light to issues when it comes to feminist campaigns, all these different forms of mobilization matters because not everyone can participate the exact same way. Mm-hmm. So I would say check your capacity. Center collective care and reflect on what it means to build a healthier feminist movement in yourself and those around you. I think a lot of times we neglect to visibilize the labor that goes into unlearning, relearning and practicing feminism according to our context. So I think apart from just the following social media, just again, find out what it means to yourself, reflect for yourself what it means to be a feminist and how it affects your lives and the lives of those around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Aries, tell me, what was it that got you to join uh, Women's March Malaysia? So um, as a transmasculine, non-binary person who is queer in the Malaysian context, I would say that more often than not, the women's uh, women's-led organizations doesn't necessarily align with what I see the feminist movement being, or at least they don't have the capacity to be able to humanize like that dimension. Mm-hmm. So I think the women's right movement was an opportunity for me to bring forth like what it means for feminism in my stance, which is radical uh, care, collective Mm -hmm. care, community building, and also just like a lot of other areas like pleasure activism, um, gender affirming practices, and just like transformative justice, what it means for us to be in the cultural moment of transformation, um, being in conflict, but repairing from that conflict in a humanizing way that mm-hmm. builds up our movements and its resiliences. So I'm really passionate about that in terms of like the educational aspect and the systemic disruption process mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. like, you know, like patriarchal values and also colonial values. So I guess that's why I'm here, just to kind of like take up space in that area okay. and bring in people who might want to see their own visions like kind of like brought forward as well that's mm-hmm. what I'm in and it's a and it's a great space I mean as we said earlier right very uh, collaborative very consultative and also very welcoming isn't it it's a very welcoming group and uh, like you said if you don't see yourself being represented in some way make yourself represented right come join the movement mm. and and have your voice heard uh, yeah. in that sense, right? But that's also the onus is also on the organizing committee and the power holders to be able to make that space. I think, of course, it's always going to be ideal that people feel safe enough and feel like empowered enough to step forward. But until measures are put in place to accommodate divergent needs, neurodivergent mm-hmm. needs or like different intersectional it's needs, hard, yeah. it's going to be very difficult for full participation and immersive participation. So okay. I think that's always the onus on organizers to be conscious of that moving forward. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. So so Aries, the the march is um on Saturday, next Saturday, the 9th of uh, March, as you mentioned. Uh, what do people need to know? How can they join? Where should they go? What should they do? What should they prepare for? All of that. Mm-hmm. So I would say the route will be similar as previous years. It starts from Sogo at 10 a.m. And they are going to be leading the march towards Dataran Mudeka. And we plan to officially share that route if illustration is needed on our social media as well. So feel free to go on social media on Women's March Mind to kind of like get information on that. And as for security protocols and procedures, like, first of all, cover your tattoos, identifying markers on yourself. A mask is always encouraged for like safeguarding reasons. Bring water because the temperature has been rising significantly over the past few months and years. So, and umbrellas, placards, like whatever you deem to be like things that you want representing you, just like put it out there and like bring it up. And yeah, you're fighting spirit as well if you want to in solidarity. I think that's all that's needed. And be rest assured that there will be people there to assist and support if necessary so that you won't be just marching alone. Yeah. Okay, all right. So again, you know, for updates, just follow you guys on uh, your Instagram page, I think will be the best, yeah, right? Yeah, that will be the most, best. The most updates. Okay, excellent. Aries, thank you so much for joining me today. And before we conclude, I guess, you know, uh, looking ahead, what are some of the future goals of the of the group? Uh, yeah, any message may, maybe that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Hmm futures of the group I think that's up to discussion okay, I guess like come forward if you want to to participate volunteer and find out what it means to build a feminist movement within the Malaysian context I guess and yeah feminism is supposed to be radically caring non-capitalistic non-colonial so let's unlearn and relearn what it means to humanize each other yeah Aries, thank you so much for joining me today. I was speaking to Aries, uh, the other uh, movement outreach, uh, the movement outreach and programs lead for the Women's March Malaysia. We were talking about, of course, the work that Women's March Malaysia does. Again, as Aries said, you can head to their website. So that's womensmarch.my. Or better yet, follow them on their Instagram. Just search for Women's March Malaysia. But if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Good Things on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.